Would you turn please in the scriptures to Luke the 12th chapter. Luke chapter 12. I am so thankful for what the Lord gives us in revelation of the word, in the anointing. It is precious beyond telling. Hallelujah. His words are life. His words are health. And uh, if you receive them, not as the words of men, but as they are in truth, the words of God, the scripture says they will work effectively and powerfully in you. Uh, you know, when the angel brought the word to Mary, and it sounded so amazing that she could conceive without a human husband, and she uh, asked him how it could happen, and he told her the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. Hallelujah. Did she understand all of that? No. But she said, be it unto me according to your word. Hallelujah. Why don't you say that out loud, everyone? Be it unto me. O Lord, Lord, according to your word. Praise God. In uh, a few weeks back, we began a series that we're calling No Worries. No Worries. In Luke, the 12th chapter, let's begin reading in verse 22. Luke 12, 22. He said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, uh, what you shall put on. Now this phrase, we saw this, this is also recorded in Matthew chapter 6. And the phrase, take no thought, can be translated Don't be anxious. In fact, some modern translations have that. And he's not just saying you can never think about what you're going to do in life. I mean, you might want to make a grocery list, right? (laughs) The day before you go. He's not saying you can't think about it. He's talking about anxious thought. He's talking about worry. Now, have you read the Bible enough to realize that we have been, as Christians, we've been commanded repeatedly not to worry? If not, just hold on. In the next few minutes, you should see it, (laughs) right? (laughs) But it's here. It's here. Did Jesus say, try not to? Did he say, do the best you can? No. He said, take no thought we might say it like this, don't take that anxious, full of care, thoughts and feelings. Don't take it. Now this is a revelation. This is a revelation. What, what do you mean? If the Lord said, don't take the worry, what does that mean? I don't have to. I don't have to take, even though thoughts of anxiety accompanied by feelings of anxiety, can come and will come, and they can be so strong and persistent and powerful, the truth that will make you free right here is they'll come, but you don't have to take them. 
That was worth you combing your hair and coming to church, right? Right there. Somebody say, I don't have to. Take it. Take what? The anxious, worried, fearful thoughts and feelings. All of that is together. Take no thought for your life what you'll eat, for your body what you shall put on. Verse 23, the life is more than food, and the body is more, we'd say, than clothes. Say that out loud. My life life is more important important than food. food. My body body is more than clothes. clothes. Verse 24, he goes on to say, consider the ravens. Here we see, he said, don't take those worried, anxious thoughts about what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What are we going to do? Don't do that. Do Think about this. Don't think about the bills. Think about the ravens. Don't think about how much the kids' school clothes are going to cost. Don't think about how much the rent is or the insurance or all those things. Think about the ravens. (laughs) Why should I think about the ravens? He's about to tell you. They don't sow And they don't reap. They don't do anything. They don't have a storehouse. They don't have a barn. They don't have a savings account. Checking account. Credit card. Nothing. And they eat. Somebody say they eat. They eat. Why? Because God feeds them. And then he says, how much more are you better than birds? There are a number of people in our generation, and it's always been that way, it increases and decreases generation to generation, but people who worship the creation more than the creator and will try to tell us that we are just evolved animals. And so, you know, a, a chimp is just as valuable as you are, or a cat, or a bird. But that's a lie. I said that's a lie. Jesus said you are worth a whole lot more. Other other accounts say than many birds. Say it out loud. It might help you. I'm worth more more than a bird. bird. (laughs) Did that help you out? In fact, I'm worth more than many birds. (laughs) In verse 25... Which of you, with taking thought, now again, being anxious and worried, can add to his stature one cubit? Now, this, uh, this word stature, the same Greek word in the same King James New Testament, is translated two different ways at least. Sometimes it's translated stature. Sometimes it's translated age. Age. Same word, which is why some of your modern translations will have age instead of uh, stature. But suffice it to say that the idea is the same either way you go. A cubit is a measurement. It's a measurement from your, the end of your middle finger to your elbow, which is approximately 18 inches. 
foot and a half is a cubit. And so let me read to you other translations that bring out the, the thoughts of this. E- either one is true. The, uh, the BBE, the basic English says, which of you by taking thought is able to make himself any taller? <laughs> now this is anxious thought. These are the words of Jesus. Do you respect the words of Jesus? Then if he's looking at you right now and said, which of you can make himself any taller by worrying? <laughs> what would you say? A few inches? Huh? A cubit is a foot and a half. Now, that <laughs> to be a foot and a half taller, that's quite something. Some people, as, as you'll see, try to apply it to your age. The Living Bible says... What is the use of worrying? What good does it do? Will it add a single day to your life? Today's English version says, Can any of you live a bit longer by worrying about it? What's the answer? And then it goes on to say, If you can't manage even such a small thing, why worry about the other things? Is this timeless wisdom from heaven? Who said this? Come on, help me out. Should we take this seriously? He's asking you, if you can't add an inch to your height, some translations say an hour to your life, like I said, both stature and age are from the same word. If you can't, by worrying and being upset, If you can't add an hour to your life, why worry about other bigger things? If you worry wouldn't accomplish the little thing, then the worry is not going to accomplish something bigger, according to Jesus. So he's saying, why do it? Why what? Why worry? Why be anxious? Why take the anxious thought? Now, why are we talking about this, saints? Are y'all happy? You awake? Are you okay? Why are we talking about this? (laughs) Good church-going people, right? By the millions, are worrying themselves sick and into premature aging. All over the world. Don't raise a hand now, but have you ever worried? Have you ever gotten anxious about something? Upset about something? Scared about something? Is that okay? Because everybody does it. First of all, you don't know everybody. You can't say that that's a true statement. And I mean, let's not say that nobody obeys the Lord on this. But is it possible to do what the Lord said? Come on, say it's possible possible. to obey the Lord. What did he tell us to do about this? Don't take any anxious thoughts. They're going to come because of where you live. We live in a rough place, this place called earth. It's filled with darkness and curse 
There's evil all around us. There are terrible things happening all over this planet because 2 Corinthians 4.4 says the devil is the God of this world. That's why all of this is happening. But the Lord tells you and I, don't worry about it. There are people just losing sleep, panicking over climate change. Are people worrying about climate change? Folks will say, well, you should be too. Not according to Jesus. I'm going to go with him. There are people that are worrying about, you know, wars and rumors of wars. What about, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if you worried about it for 20 years and it never happened? (laughs) Then all of the wear and tear of that worry in your life was for nothing. And of course, if all of us get in concert an agreement with intense worry, it will stop some of these wars. Yes? No. How many wars have ever been prevented by intense or united worry? I'm not just trying to to make fun. I'm, I'm elaborating on what the master said. He said, if you can't, with your worry, add an hour to your life, or a day to your life, or an inch to your height, much less a foot and a half. (laughs) If you can't, he said that's a little bitty thing. If you can't do that, say it out loud. Why Why? worry Worry. about the rest? rest. If I can't do that with worry, why worry about the rest? Let let the words of the master get into your spirit tonight. He said, why take thought, why worry about the rest? Look at it again. If you're not able to do the thing which is least, why take you thought for the rest? We need to meditate on this. Now the devil will tell you, I'm, I'm not talking about seeing a being and hearing a voice, But thoughts will come and feelings will come that you cannot help but worry. And there is a deception, even amongst good Christian people, that if you care, you worry. And the more you care, the more you worry. It's a lie. Who have you ever helped by worrying about them? Has anybody ever told you, I could feel you worrying about me, and it just encouraged me so much, and made me strong, and helped no. In fact, if, you, if somebody's going through something, and you're around them worrying, you're adding hindrance to their environment. Right? Let me give you some advice now. There's a lot of things when you're believing for it, you don't need to tell people. That's right. Amen. Amen. Even some loved ones. That's right. You need to ask yourself, when they hear it or when they find out, what will be their response? If they're going to just, you know, let's say you're dealing with something physical. 
If all they're going to do is tell everybody in the community what a terrible problem you're going through, and if all they're going to do is call you five times a day and ask you how do you feel, how do you really feel, you'd be much better off not telling them, getting the victory, then giving them the testimony. Why didn't you tell me about it? You don't have to say, because all you'd have done was talk unbelief for the last three months. And <laughs> don't have to say that. You can just say, well, I didn't want to bother you. I didn't just wanted to give you the good report. <laughs> most everybody, most all church going people would agree and tell you worry is bad. Many of them wouldn't even know the Lord told us not to worry. But most do not have any idea how bad worry really is. And what it is spiritually. And why the Lord commanded us not to do it. We should take it seriously. Which is why we're spending Friday nights on <laughs> no worries. Come on, let's keep going. If you're not able to do the thing which is least, why worry or take thought about the rest? I want you to put that in your mouth. Say it out loud. Why worry? Why worry? About the rest of it. Come on, say it again. Why worry worry about the rest of it? Who said this? Head of the church, the Lord Jesus. What did he say? If you can't do that little thing with worry, why worry about the rest? Then he says, consider the lilies. Can you see what he's saying now? Don't worry and think about this. But you're not just going to do nothing. You're going to replace that with thinking about something else. Instead of worrying, we're considering the lilies now. How they grow. They toil not. They spin not. Yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory, and he's a snappy dresser, was not arrayed like one of these. Keep going. If God so clothed the grass then, which today is in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O ye of little faith. The more you worry, it shows the less faith you have. The stronger your faith, the less you worry. Full of faith, fully persuaded, no worry at all. Said out loud, God clothes the hills with grass with flowers. And if they get clothes, I get clothes. The birds eat all over the world. If they eat, I eat. I'm going to eat. I'm going to have plenty of good clothes. I'm not going to be concerned about it. Not going to worry about it. Because worry will put no food on the table. But faith will. Oh, did somebody hear that? Right? Worry won't put any clothes in your closet. Neither will covetousness. What do you mean? Looking at pictures all day long and longing after something will not put it in your closet. (laughs) Sewing some clothes to somebody else 
Making them happy. Getting in faith will put clothes in your closet. I know uh, when I first, uh, Phyllis and I first went to Raymond Bible School, we had no dress clothes at all. And then with a little bit of money and even with some people giving us some things, we got just a couple of outfits. I had, uh, I think, a couple of pair of dress pants and a couple of sport coats. And that was my entire wardrobe. And one pair of dress shoes. And uh, after a few months, <laughs> that's getting worn. Right? And of course, you know, you mix and match. <laughs> you can only do so much. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, in, in this day and age, uh, a lot of folks don't dress up for anything. And, and you might say, well, Brother Keith, why are you, why are you dress up so much? Have you not been watching the trend? Have you watched the news announcers? How do they dress? The sportscasters. How do they dress? The weatherman. If they put on a coat and tie to tell you the bad news, <laughs> why shouldn't I put on a coat and tie to tell you the good news? Is that right? Now, I'm not knocking. If you want to wear jeans and a t-shirt to preach in, I'm not knocking that. You do whatever the Lord told you to do, but don't call me old fogey because I want to put a coat on, right? I mean, <laughs> I just, I, I want to show respect. I want to do the best I know how. You might say, well, I don't have any dress clothes. You don't have to have any dress clothes, but if you got two t-shirts, when it comes church time, Wash one of them at least. Come on, y'all with me? Get it, your good one. Wash your good one. Maybe even break out the iron. Imagine that. And get the wrinkles out of it and wear your good t-shirt to church. It shows respect. If you don't even try, it's disrespect. It's a lack of respect. If you make no effort, if you don't even try. How many think with the auditorium, with everything, you should endeavor to have the good stuff and make it look good, do the best you know, and you know, not not pompous and, and try to act like something you're not, but the best you can where you are, and believe God, you know, by the end of the year or next year, take it up another notch. Let's right, and the Lord said, "You honor me, I'll honor you." How did we get off on all that? Well, we're talking about clothes, aren't we? The Lord will give you clothes. And so I got kind of frustrated. And of course, this is decades ago. We we're just barely learning some things about faith because uh, my clothes were looking not so good. And uh, I'm training for the ministry. And back then at the school, they required you to wear some dress clothes if you're training for the ministry. And so I remember one day I'm I'm looking in the closet. I didn't walk in the closet because it wasn't a walk-in closet. <laughs> just, I'm looking in the little shallow closet in the apartment. And uh, I, I, I complained a little bit. And I said, Lord, this doesn't look good. And, and the Lord quickened to me. He said, uh, if you're not thankful, you're interfering with your faith for more. I saw a flash. I thought, I... I that's not faith. Complaining is not faith. And I need to be thankful that I've got something instead of nothing. And I need to take care of what I've got best I know how because God's big on stewardship. If you're faithful in the little, he'll give you more. 
And so I, I stopped it. I said, forgive me. And I began to thank God for my two sport coats and my two pair of dress pants and my one pair of dress shoes. I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I began to say, I'll have plenty of clothes. We'll have nice clothes. And after years later, I got to know Brother Hagin some more personally, and he had all kind of nice suits. Man, people had bought him suits, right and left, nice ones. So I began to make my confession, one day, I'll have as many nice suits as Brother Hagin. <laughs> yeah, and uh, as the years have gone by, it's coming to pass. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. But you, complaining is not faith. Complaining gets in the way of your faith. Uh, thank God. If, if your car is not the newest or the latest, greatest, don't gripe at it. Don't kick it. Don't fuss it. And sure, don't cuss it. Amen. Thank God for it. Go ahead and wash that dude. Amen. Oh, yeah. Vacuum it out. Come on. <laughs> wash it. Clean it up. Why? Because if you don't take care of that one, you wouldn't take care of a new one. Somebody says, ah, you're wrong about that. I'm quoting Jesus. That's right. He said, if you're not faithful in, in the little, you wouldn't be faithful. Oh, yeah, you'd be excited for a few days, but then in a few weeks or months, the new would wear off, and it'd become a pitch-in also, right. full of garbage, full of junk. If you're really as serious about that new car, clean up the one you got. Amen. Amen. Now, somebody didn't like that. I'm trying to help you out, brother. I'm trying to help you out, sister. Clean up the one you got. Put a shine on it. Thank God for it. And while you're thanking God, you can thank God for the next, too. And for the better. That's how it flows. Where did we get to? Well, there's so much here that if I start reading other verses, I'll start preaching on them. Go to Philippians 4, please. Philippians 4 and 6. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Keep going. And the peace of God. Everybody say the peace of God. This is what we can have instead of worry. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. Think on these things. Now he's talking about not worrying. And then a couple of verses later he's talking about what you think on. Romans 8 says to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If so many people know that worry is bad. And even if the Lord told us not to worry. Why? are so many still worrying. We've given in the past a couple of reasons, but I saw, I believe today, a way to simplify it even further. I can see two big reasons why that encompasses the other things that we've talked about. One is not taking control. Did you hear that phrase? Not taking control. Verse 6 here says, be careful for nothing. Put that up in the Amplified, if you would, please. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. Why would the Lord tell us that? Because it's more important than we know 
that we do it, but it reveals to us we can do it. Don't fret or have any anxiety about anything. How do you do that? Verse uh, 8 talks about what you think about, right? And we just got through seeing in both Matthew 6 and and Luke 12 where that uh, Jesus said, don't take the anxious thoughts. We must take control of our thinking. This is one of the biggest issues. Most people don't think they have control over their thought life. They, they think they are hapless and helpless as to whatever thoughts or feelings come. People will say, you know, they, they look dejected. You go, what's wrong? Oh, you know, I just thought about some bad things. Well, well quit thinking about that. <laughs> I remember that... Uh, that old thing they did on Hee Haw many years ago where the, the guy would go into the doctor and he'd say, Doc, it hurts when I do this. And he'd say, well, then don't do that. <laughs> and and if, you, if it gets you down when you think on that, smarten up. Stop thinking about that. Now, all kind of people will tell you that's not practical. That doesn't work. Well, then Jesus is wrong. And the Spirit of God through Paul is wrong. And the Spirit of God through Peter is wrong. And again, we're back to a choice now. What you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? Are you a helpless victim to whatever thoughts and feelings come to you? You have to think on them. You have to yield to the feelings and think on what comes to you and act like you feel or are you a new creation in Christ Jesus? You got the greater one on the inside of you. You're more than a conqueror. You're an overcomer. And your mind is your mind. You can think on what you choose to think on and refuse to think on what you choose not to think on. Hallelujah. I got a series uh, that we taught a number of years ago called In Your Control. In your control. It's online. It's available. And uh, we've had some amazing testimonies. Of people that have fed on that. Uh, One young man. Who had lived in an ungodly lifestyle. For a lot of years. And and decided that he could not. Be free. uh, Of the stuff that he was in. Uh, He believed God still would love him. He believed in God's love. But he didn't believe he could be free. And the Lord used that series. He told me. After getting about halfway through that, he saw, I don't have to put up with this. I don't have to accept these feelings. I don't have to accept these thoughts. And he began to resist. What did the Bible say if you resist the enemy? He'll flee from you. Come on, somebody say, my mind mind is my mind. mind. In fact, fact, I have the mind of Christ. Christ Christ means anointed. And notice what he said in Philippians 4, 8 here. If you will choose to focus and think on these things, what will happen in verse 9? Those things which you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Verse 7 had said it will keep 
Your heart and mind, the peace of God, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, but you must take responsibility for controlling your own mind. The Lord gave me these two phrases today, and I'm I'm excited about them. They're answers. They're answers. They're rock-solid answers. Two reasons, two big reasons, why millions of Christians continue to worry even though they know it's bad and they know they shouldn't. One is not taking control. Not taking control of your mind and and what you think on. The second one sounds almost opposed, but it's not not giving control. Not giving control. These are the two big reasons I see why Millions of Christians continue to worry when the Lord commanded us not to. Not taking control. And then secondly, not giving control. Now we've already spent some time, quite a bit of time, on taking control. We started out with the first segment. Spending the whole time on Jesus said, don't take the thought. Don't take the worry. Is it in my control? Is it in your control? what I think on. I'm being repetitious for a reason. Most people on the planet don't believe what I'm talking about right now. They don't believe it. They believe if if a thought comes to you, you have to think it. If a feeling comes to you, you have to feel it. Lies. Man, if if you believe that and you live like that, you're going to be one unstable individual. Whatever thoughts happen to hit you, That's how you're going to feel. And feelings. But the Bible tells us that though we walk and live in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. And the weapons of our warfare are not natural or fleshly, but they're mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. And that we are to cast down, throw down imaginings. Hallelujah. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Can you do that? Can a thought come to your mind and you go, hey, whoa, whoa, wait up, wait up. (laughs) You are in disagreement with the word of God and you grab it and you slam it and you say, I'm not thinking that. I'm not thinking that. I'm not looking at that. I'm not talking about that. Change the channel. Can you do that mentally? You can, and it is key to being stable and free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you notice you've been thinking on something that's bringing you down, you go, what what am I doing? What am I doing? Right? Well, I care about that. Yeah, but what can you fix by worrying about it? If I can't fix the little thing, why worry about the rest? Not taking control is a big, big reason why many still continue to worry. But I want to get into this second one a little bit. Not giving control. Go to 1 Peter and you see this. 1 Peter 5 and 5. He said, likewise you younger... Submit yourselves to the elder, 
Yea, all of you be subject to one another. Be clothed with humility. Now keep this in mind. Because he's, he's talking about pride and humility. And in just a few words later, he's talking about not worrying. Does pride have anything to do with worry? Does humility have anything to do with not worrying? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. He said, uh, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. The proud don't receive God's help. That's a big statement. And it's not somewhere you want to be. Included in the grace of God is all of God's help. With enough grace, with enough of God's help, you can get through anything. Do you believe that? With enough of God's grace and help, you can receive any miracle. Nothing's too big. But who gets the grace? Who gets the help? Not the proud, but the humble. Keep going, verse 6. Humble yourselves. Who's going to make you humble? Nobody's going to make you humble. If you don't humble yourself, you won't be humbled. Oh, you might be humiliated by what somebody did, but that doesn't mean you humbled yourself, even if you were humiliated. That's another message. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. That's also translated raise. He may lift you or raise you in due time. And listen to verse 7. That's not even the end of the sentence. That's That's what a colon. Casting all your care upon him. For he cares for you. Don't take an anxious thought. Take control of your mind. Don't let yourself dwell on it, think on it, meditate on it, talk about it, look at it. Instead, consider the lilies. Consider the ravens. Think about something else. Talk about something that ministers life and peace to you. But here's something else. What do I do with the care? What do I do? I mean, my child is going through some hard things. And I love them, and it hurts my heart to see them go through it. Well, what if you cry your eyes out and worry till you've got ulcers in your stomach? Will it help them? Will it help them any, even a little bit? If you worry until you make yourself sick and die prematurely, will it help them in that situation? Then why do it? Did Jesus say, why do it for the rest? Why worry about the rest? Why do it? Now, most people will say, I can't help it. That's a lie. I can't help it is a lie. I can't help it is a lie. Are y'all with me or not? See, now, if you you get indignant or irritated with me and go, well, you don't know what I've been going through. You got no idea what I've ever been through. What's that got to do with anything? Well, if you had what I was dealing with, you'd be upset. You couldn't help but be upset. You have no clue what I've ever been through. That's got nothing to do with it. Do we believe what Jesus said or don't we? He said, don't worry. Don't have any anxiety or care about anything. 
Now the devil will come immediately and say, that's impossible. But the devil's a liar. And Jesus is telling the truth. And the truth will make you free. Think about a life where you never worry. That alone sounds like a pretty good life. I mean, you get up in the morning, you don't worry. You go through the day, you don't worry. You hear bad news, you don't worry. You go to bed, sleep like a baby. Even though there's 563 things wrong in your life, you still sleep like a baby because you don't worry. Now, if worrying helped, that'd be different. If worrying ever paid a bill, then maybe do it. If worrying ever helped a child or a grandchild or made a marriage better, if worrying ever healed a body, then okay, maybe. But it never has, never even a little bit, never will. You can't accomplish even the smallest thing by worrying about it. So why worry about the rest? Why do it? If it's completely futile and vain and hurts you in the process, why do it? I believe the, the Word of God's renewing our minds. Do you believe? I, I believe it. I can sense it. Other countries right now, praise God. I can sense it. People's minds are getting renewed. And, and they're casting down a thought that's been a lie that I have to live like this. I can't help it. They are coming to the knowledge of the truth. And they're grabbing that lie and throwing it down and saying, no, that's not true. That's not true. I don't have to live full of anxiety and fear. If you let him, the enemy will keep you upset about something all the time. Just about time you get over one thing, there will be something else to get mad about, hurt about, scared about, upset about, irritated about, anxious about. Come on now, you know more about this than you're letting on. (laughs) If you let him, you will stay worked up, upset, right, over something all the time. And if we let him do it to us, we're acting a fool. When the Lord commanded us not to do it and gave us the help to be able not to do it. First Peter, are you there? We're down to verse 7. Look at this in the Amplified. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on Him. Can you do this? Now this is the second part, giving control. Taking control over your mind not letting yourself think about those things. But then when you realize something's too big for you, having the awareness and the humility to acknowledge, I can't fix this. This is too big for me. Worrying won't fix anything, won't help anything. It just makes everything worse. But I know somebody who can do something with this. I know some, somebody say, I know somebody. I, I know somebody. <laughs> I 
Oh, honey child, there is so much you don't know. But you know somebody who does. There is so much you can't fix. No matter how much you love them and how much you want to make it better, you can't. And the quicker you realize, I'm out of my depth here. I can't do this. And get it to somebody who can. In aviation, I'm a pilot. And in aviation, aviation has its own language. It's like learning a different language besides English or whatever. And uh, there's reasons for it. And the Lord's blessed us to be able to train on a high level. We've flown around the world. And uh, most transport category aircraft, which would include all jets of any size and all the airliners that you ride on, are two crew aircraft, two pilots. And uh, in the cockpit, the duties are divided between what we call pilot flying and pilot monitoring. Somebody's asking Mike and I the other day when we flew to uh, Spain, they said, uh, it was a long flight, and they said, well, you know, are y'all going to take turns, you know, taking naps and this kind of thing? Uh-oh. <laughs> it requires two crew. The other person's not just an extra body in the cockpit. These machines are so complex, things are happening so fast, the FAA and other people, the manufacturers said, this plane has to have two pilots as a minimum. And so the duties are divided between pilot flying and pilot monitoring. And the duties are divided. In fact, you know, uh, there's certain things on that guy's side of the cockpit you're not supposed to touch and mess with. And things on your side of the cockpit, he or she's not supposed to touch and mess with. And one of the things that is to be very definite is when there is a switch of who's flying and who's monitoring. And that needs to be stated audibly. And the way we do it is, you know, like let's say I'm flying on the left side, Mike's flying on the right side. We're coming into a place, and I want to look at the charts or brief something. Well, I... uh, I don't just start pulling out stuff and looking at it because my job, if I'm pilot flying, is to keep my eyes on these gauges and everything and make sure the plane is up right side doing what it's supposed to be doing. You know, even though it's on autopilot and automation, pilot's flying job is to make sure it's flying correctly. Now, have you ever heard, maybe you've watched movies or something and they were in some terrible situation and, and somebody told him just fly the plane fly the airplane fly that, that sounds like a, a catchphrase but a lot of crashes have occurred because somebody didn't fly the airplane the uh, over here in Florida a number of years ago there was a great big airliner and uh, they came in to land and they didn't get one light on the uh, landing lights when they put the landing gear down you got three green lights that come up and let you know they're all down and locked. One of them didn't come up. So they went around like they should, 
And they flew back out over the, um, the swamp. It's nighttime. It's dark. And there were four, at least four pilots, very highly qualified guys in the cockpit. And they're all trying to troubleshoot. And they're all looking at the lights. And they're looking at the book. And nobody is watching the airplane. And, and something had happened that the autopilot had come off. And nobody knew it. And it was inching down real slow. And next thing you know, boom. Crashed. Killed them all. And four highly qualified pilots, but they were all looking at this little light and come to find out it was just a light bulb. One little light bulb was out. Nothing was wrong with the gear. Nothing was wrong with the plane. Why did I tell you that? Because nobody was flying the plane. That's why they, that, that phrase you keep hearing, fly the airplane. Fly the air. This will do you some good in other parts of life. There are times when even though it's not an airplane, you need to fly the airplane. You, you need to be focused on that. Somebody needs to be watching where this thing's going. But let's say there needs to be a switch of duties. I'm wanting to break or I'm wanting to look at some books or something. And if, if he's pilot monitoring, I'm pilot flying, there's a procedure. I'll say, your controls. And he'll say, my controls. Are y'all with me? And this is a positive exchange of duties. Now, he's pilot flying. He stops whatever else he was doing. And he's got his eyes on the instruments. And now I'm pilot monitoring. He's pilot flying. There needs to be no ambiguity. No uncertainty about who's got what. Why am I talking about this? Let's say you and I are one of those movie scenes. Something happened to the pilot. He ate the bad fish. <laughs> Both of them's passed out in the aisle. You come up to the cockpit. It's a cold, dark night. <laughs> Thunderstorms around. And nobody's flying the airplane. You go, oh, no. And you get in the seat and you've never flown an airplane or anything about it and all these things. I mean, you know, there's scores and scores of instruments and things going on and you don't know what any of them mean. And so you, you, you get a hold of the yoke and next thing you know, you feel some strange forces and then you hear the, the wind coming real fast and you go, oh no, oh no. And then more lights go off and, and bells go off and and you, you just got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> and I happened to be on the flight. Could have been anybody else, but it happened to be me this time. I, I come up, I stick my head in the cockpit, and I go, hey, I know how to fly this. I got thousands of hours flying jets. Uh, you want me to take this for you? And you go, huh, I'm too scared. I, I don't want to turn it loose. Because I want to live. I said, yeah, me too. That's why I want you to let me, <laughs> let me in the seat. <laughs> yeah, but I, I trust you, I do. But I can't let go. You've got to let go. Or we're about to die. Did you, do you feel those G-forces? Do, do you hear the sound? And you know that big light that keeps flashing right there? There's a reason why. I know what to do. I know what that is. I know what to do. I can get this under control in just a few seconds. 
if you will let me have it. But you got to let me have it. There needs to be a positive change of control. You need to relinquish control and get out of the seat. Right? Let me get in there. Because in these kind of cases, there can be not much time. Ten years ago, Air France flight left from Rio de Janeiro going to Paris. And about halfway over, it was a cold, dark night, thunderstorms. And uh, they had a little malfunction in the pedostatic system. And autopilot came off and autothrottles came off. And, and, and all at once now it's in their hands. And uh, on that aircraft, it doesn't have the typical yoke. It's got a joystick like on a game pad. And it's got one on each side. And uh, one of the guys was over controlling. He pulled it back too far. And it's pitch black. You can't see anything. So it's all instruments. I know some of their instruments are bad. And without realizing it, he's pitching the nose up. And, and you can only do that so long and the plane will stall. Well, it's stalled and it's falling. But because it's still level, you can't really tell it. But it got to, it's falling 10,000 feet a minute. Well, the other pilot realized it. And he said, uh, my controls left side, and he took a hold of the stick, but the guy on the right side didn't turn loose of his. He didn't turn loose. He's fi- he still got it pulled, nose back, and, and the other guy's trying to pitch the nose down to save it. They only have three and a half minutes to live from the time this starts to the end. Why am I bringing this up to you? If he had relinquished control, but he's scared, you would be too. You've got to relinquish control and give it to somebody. Do y'all see why I'm talking about this? Give it to somebody that can recover this thing. Right? Nothing was wrong with the airplane. The malfunction that occurred was corrected within about a minute. All you had to do, keep it level for a minute. And everything comes back, you put it back on, go to Paris. But at this point, it's dropping like a rock. You can't see it. But this guy is trying to do this, this, this guy over here is trying to do this, canceled each other out. Come on, can you see this? Both of them can't be in control. Both of these controls can't work. How many understand? You don't want God as your co-pilot. No, you don't. You want him P-I-C. Pilot in command. You want him captain. Because he knows it all. I said he knows it all. And he'll tell you things to do and there'll be situations you'll get in and he'll say my control my controls what are you supposed to do (laughs) your controls come on y'all help me here now Your, your control what does that mean keep your feet off the rudder pedals keep your hands off of the stick 
Keep your hands off of any buttons or switches. Right? And how many believe the Father is the best captain there's ever been? Jesus is the best there's ever been. You give it to him and this thing may be tumbling and lights and flash. You give it to him in a few seconds it's all smooth and quiet. Man, Jesus, you're a good pilot. Oh, man. (laughs) But the guy that held the death grip on it and wouldn't let it go, they they didn't recover. Three and a half minutes, they pancaked into the ocean. Friend, on a regular basis, we get into things in life that are beyond us. Most things with other people, other human beings, are beyond us. And at that point, what do you need to do? You need to relinquish control and you need to say, your controls. Your controls. You have it, Lord. You have it. Look with me in the scripture, just a couple of places here. Got to talk about flying a little bit tonight. (laughs) It's relevant, isn't it? It's very, very relevant. Look with me in John, the second chapter. Praise God. John, chapter 2, is the first miracle that occurred in Jesus' ministry. But very interesting how this transpired. John 2 and verse 1. The third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, or lacked wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said, well, I'll take care of that right away. (laughs) What did he say? What have I to do with thee? Now, that's King James. Mine hour is not yet come. Let me read this to you from uh, some other translations. The, the Young's literal, the literal rendering of this is what to me and to you. What is that to us? Contrary to what people think, Jesus did not fix everything everywhere he went. He didn't clean out the hospitals or the mental institutions. Somebody said, he healed everybody. No, he healed everybody that came to him to be healed. That's not the same as healing everybody. Everybody that came to Jesus to be healed, left healed or delivered. Do you remember at the pool of Bethesda? Five porches of sick and suffering people waiting for the moving of the water. Do you remember that? Jesus went, ministered to one man, and walked away. You got to remember, even though he is the Son of God, Philippians and other places tells us he's emptied himself and become like other men. He's doing this the same way we would do it, with his help. And that means being led by the Spirit. Did did Jesus say, I can of my own self do nothing? Did he say that? I can of my own self do nothing. You'll hear this phrase bannered around. In fact, I'm tired of hearing it. God 
is in control. You say, what's wrong with that? A lot. A lot. Somebody say, well, I believe that with every fiber of my being. God's in control of what? Of what? He's controlling you. Everything you did today was God's perfect will and plan. He's controlling you. It was his choice. What you ate, what you wore, where you went, everything on the planet, all the cruelty, all the death and destruction, is God controlling people? Mm -mm. That's why I take objection to this phrase. If you're talking about overall that certain things are going to happen with the consummation of the the age of grace and what's happening with the planet. Yeah, overall, the general plan is going to happen, but God is not controlling individuals and, and making all their decisions for them. Do you remember in, in the book of Revelation where the Lord said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody will open, I'll come in to them. Is that God controlling everything in your life? No. If you don't invite him in and give him control, he's not in control. Very important to know this. If you don't give him control in your life, he's not going to just come in and push you aside and do what he wants regardless of what you think. If God is totally controlling everything and everybody, there is no free will. Do you remember in the Old Testament he said, I set before you life, death, blessing, cursing. Choose life. If God's in control, there is no choosing. There is no choice. If God's will is being done everywhere and everything, why pray thy will be done? It's already being done. Come on, can you see this? This is a trick of the enemy. Lie of the enemy. It sounds religious. It sounds like you're being deferential. But it's a lie. You know when God gets control? <laughs> when you bow your knee. Is that right? You submit to him and you say, your airplane. Your control. <laughs> Come on now with me. If you give him control in a situation, he'll take it. He'll do something with it. But you have to relinquish. You have to invite him in. You have to ask. And because people do have a free will all around us, there are many, many things that are nothing to you. I'm elaborating on this verse. What did Jesus say about the, about the wine? What is that to me and you? And his mother did the right thing. She didn't say anything else to him about it. She said, well, whatever he says to you, then do it. And happened that the father did say something to him. And when he did, it became his business. Come on, can you see this? But do we need to understand the Lord's thinking in that way? If he thought that way, we should understand Acting like by worrying 
and getting upset about everything is acting like you're bigger than you are. It's acting like you have more control than you do. It can be a pride thing. I know when I first started working in the healing school at Brother Kenneth Hagin's ministry, earliest day, very young, very green, and Brother Hagin had been ministering there himself in the afternoons, and then I'm ministering there. I felt so inadequate. And we saw some good things happen, but we also saw some people that didn't receive. We saw some people healed. We saw some people died. Well, that bothered me. And you know, if you care, a lot of things I'm telling you I learned the hard way. And as the months went by without realizing it, I became more sober. I thought, well, I, if I had more faith, if I knew more, if I could minister, if I could have ministered to them better, maybe they would have, wouldn't have died. If I, if I had more faith in that, and my staff and my group that was with me, time, day after day, I'd say, let's don't go to lunch, let's fast and pray. And I mean, fasting is good, praying is good, but I mean, I fasted so much, I lost all kind of weight, and, and without realizing it, I'd lost my joy too. I'm so serious. I'm serious about this, not realizing it's unbelief. And I'm sure I wasn't fun to be around. My wife and other people, because I'm so serious. I'm, we got to study, we got to pray, we got we to put. And, and after months of this, one day praying again, skipping lunch, the Lord asked me a question, I mean very distinctly, and I could tell he was a little irritated with me. He said, Keith, are you the healer? What do you think I said? No. <laughs> and if you had asked me the day before or the six months before, I would have immediately said no. He said, well, quit acting like you are. Are you the healer? No, Lord. Well, then why are you acting like their healing is all up to you? It's all resting on your shoulders whether these people are healed or not. I've seen people do that with the new birth and salvation. They, they feel so condemned if they happen to walk by somebody that might not have been saved because I didn't take an hour with them and stop and because you know if they, if they don't get saved then their blood will be on my hands. No, 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 no. You're misquoting that. If the Lord directs you specifically to do something and you refuse to do it, You'll be responsible for what you didn't do. But how in the world? That's too big for you, little britches. <laughs> Their eternal condition is up to you. And what you do? No, friend. Most cases, a whole world of things happened before you ever saw these people. They may have already had 10,000 opportunities to receive the Lord. How would you know? No, this is bigger than you. It's important that we do what he directs us to do, but whether somebody's saved and lost, it's not all sitting on your little shoulders. Whether somebody's healed or not, it's not sitting on your little shoulders. Are you the Savior? Are you the healer? 
Are you the deliverer? You're the provider, the protector. And see, it's pride to act like you are. Go around so heavy, so sober. Why? We got to get all these people this. We got to do this. We got to do this. You are gripping the yoke. And the plane is zooming towards the ground. (laughs) It's too big for you. And the Lord said to me, he said, son, this is not all sitting on your shoulders. Whether they live or die, it's not sitting on your shoulders. You're responsible to do what I give you to do. You seek me, you pray, you get to revelation, you preach and teach the best you know how, you lay hands on them with all the faith you've got, you expect, then you turn it over to me. You you say, your control. (laughs) Is that right? He said, you cast the care of the rest of it over on me and you enjoy your salvation. Oh, come on, can you see that? You, you enjoy, why? Because one of these worst witnesses in this earth is an upset, depressed Christian. If you're all, you know, so miserable and, and, and guilty about everything and trying to take the responsibility for the salvation and healing of the whole world on your shoulders, nobody's going to want to be like you because you're miserable. <laughs> Too big for you. The Lord asked me, are you the healer? I said, no, sir. Basically, quit acting like you are. (laughs) Quit trying to take that responsibility on. It's too big for you. Do you hear what what we said? Taking control of your mind, but then giving control. Right? Giving control when you see this is too big for me. Go with me to John 20 in closing, I think. John 21 it is. I want you to say it out loud. A whole lot of things are nothing to me. (laughs) For you to worry about it and be anxious about it is foolish. It's acting like you've got more control and power than you do. Cast the care of it over on the Lord. Enjoy your salvation. Amen? Amen. Be a good example of a believer. The Lord was anointed with the oil of joy above his brethren. Little kids love to be around Jesus. They don't like to be around grumpy, no fun people. Is that right? Little kids love to be around Jesus. He's fun. That's a revelation right there. Jesus is fun. He's life itself. He's not what religion has painted him to be. John 21, are you there? After Jesus has been raised from the dead, he talked to Peter, you know, asked him, do you love me? And they went through that. And John, of course this is John, the account of John, he named himself the apostle the Lord loves. Who are you? Uh, mama named me John, but if you really want to know, I'm the apostle he loves. I'm the one the Lord loves. And so it wouldn't have been hard to uh, get the idea that he thought he's God's favorite. Does that sound familiar? And, uh, you know, 
when we see him eating at table, he's got his head on Jesus' chest. He's right there. He got close, buddy. Right there. And he said, I'm the one he loves. You know, nobody can believe that for you. Most people believe, oh, you don't really love me. You're just saying that. Don't do that. When the Lord tells you he loves you, what do you say? I believe it. I believe every word of it. You love me. I am the apple of your eye. Come on, somebody say it out loud. The Lord loves me. The Lord loves me. Come on, say it out loud. The Lord loves me. The Lord loves me. He loves me. I am the apple of his eye. I'm quoting scriptures. So, because of this seeming preferential spot, Peter looks over and says, verse 21, Lord, what about him? Because the Lord had just told Peter how he was going to go, how he was going to end of his life and how he's going to die. And some of it sounded pretty rough. And so he said, well, what about him? What about Golden Boy over here, that, <laughs> the disciple you love? What, what about him? What did the Lord tell him? He said, if, he didn't say he did, he said, but if I want him to stay until I come back. Boy, that's something. What is that to you? Who said this? Jesus. Jesus. Should, should you think about this? I'm telling you, a whole lot of things are nothing to you. You shouldn't even be thinking about it. Much less worrying about it. Because it's too big for you. It's above your pay grade. <laughs> You're never going to know much about it in this life. And it's just beyond you. And so you just need to smile and say, the Lord's good. And uh, I, I leave it in his hands. What about so-and-so? I don't know. The Lord knows. I don't have to know. Man, what a freeing thing. What a liberating thing it is for you when you realize... I don't have to have an opinion or a position about everything. Amen. I've had people look at me, you know, in, in disbelief when they ask something. Like, well, well, Brother Keith, what, what's your position on that? I said, I don't have one. <laughs> well, sure you do. I mean, what, what do you believe? About, what do you think about that? I don't. I choose not to think about it. People look at you like you're just making stuff up. But there are a number of things because there, there's been times when the Lord would deal with me, leave that alone. Brother Hagen, Kenneth Hagen, who's in heaven now, his sister was uh, attacked with a, a terminal disease. And it was a disease he had seen healed in his ministry hundreds and hundreds of times. And so he prayed for her, prayed for her, prayed for her. She got worse, worse, and died. Now, a lot of people are so foolish, they get mad and quit God over that. Instead of having a little humility and realizing, would it have to be God's fault? But anyway, he knew better than that. But he said, he asked the Lord about it, and he said, the Lord told him. He said, that's between me and her. He said, don't touch it again in thought life. Did you hear that phrase? Don't touch it again in thought life. And oftentimes he'd say, uh, there's a lot of things I hadn't done perfectly, but that I've done. He said, because the Lord told him specifically, he said, I hadn't thought about it again. If it comes around, I go, oh, nope, 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 change the channel. 
Not thinking about that because the Lord said, don't touch it again in thought life. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Put it on the screen for us, please. Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Are there things that's none of your business? A lot of things. Come on, say it out loud. A lot of things. whole lot of things. Nothing to me. Or nothing to me. And he said, uh, when Peter said, what about him? He said, uh, what's that to you? You follow me. What's that to you? Well, how many things are people worrying about that's nothing to them? They're just being nosy. They're just being, they're interfering. They're being meddlesome. When they, if they'd asked the Lord, he'd say, no, now you just turn that over to me. You cast that over to me and quit thinking about that. And if you'd be obedient, you'd say, yes, sir, your control. You just enjoy the ride. Look out the window. Thank God for the smooth flight. Right? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> he said, what is that to you? Thank God there's a different way of living than most people live on the planet. There is strife. There is anxiety. There's fear, worry everywhere you look. Sadly, the church is full of it. Even though the Lord commanded us, don't do it. But you can take control of your mind and your thoughts. And when you come to something that's none of your business or it's too big for you, you can give control to him. And between those two things, you can stay happy all the time. <laughs> One fellow said this years ago, he said, I don't worry about things I can do something about because I can do something about them. And he said, I don't worry about things I can't do anything about because I can't do anything about it. <laughs> well, if you don't worry about the things you can do something about and you don't worry about the things you can't do anything about, you just don't worry. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet, everybody. Let's lift our hands. Let's thank the Lord for the peace that passes understanding. Hallelujah. Casting all your care on him. Hallelujah. It's something we do. So just by faith, let's begin to do that. Say it out loud. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. And I cast. And I, cast. I, throw I throw all my anxieties, all my anxieties. Worries, worries, cares, cares fears, fears that are too big for me, that big that's big out beyond me, this is not my concern. I cast them over on you. Your controls. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.